Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. As a reminder, I'm Ben Myers. I'm your host, market research Big guy. Ben Myers. Big ben, we are here with Steve Cameron, lender extraordinaire. Mr. Steve Cameron, Cameron Stevens Mortgage Capital, Cameron <laughs> Stevens Equity Capital, <laughs> yes. Cameron Stevens Financial Markets. So lots of things happening. We uh, we got a, a mayor's race coming up. We had yeah, we do. one of the one of the candidates saying that people that live above the tenth floor of a building are more like birds than people. So that was an interesting comment. Who said <laughs> Gill? Gill? Somebody? Gill uh. Penalosa? And then the other candidate. That uh, came out with his platform uh, runs a uh, uh, a clickbait real estate website. So, uh, and he he bragged on his uh, his platform that he has half a decade of housing analyst experience. Half a decade. Half a decade. Wow. So, full five uh, years. Yeah. Full That's full five years. Credentials. He should be able to solve that. worthy right there. Five should, years of clickbait. <laughs> <laughs> you Vote should be able to, to to solve the housing crisis. But I'll tell you about someone that has a lot more than five years of experience. And Let that is the plus group. That is the plus group. And they are the sponsor of the Toronto Under Construction Podcast. The Plus Group is comprised of five distinct companies. RN Design, SRN Architects, Salesfish Sales Software, Kool-Aid Studios, and Studio Uno ID. Offering services in marketing, architecture, interior design, and real estate software. Their mission is simple, Steve. Revolutionize the real estate industry through efficiency, innovation, and quality while adding value to the client experience. For more information on The Plus Group or any of their five companies, visit theplusgroup.ca. Again, theplusgroup.ca. And you, uh, you had a little tweet this week, and uh, you were... You were it started out negative, kind of going after some of the haters on on Twitter, who you you know you can't stand. But then you you <laughs> turned it around to a positive, and you said uh, you know, but here's some people that I would follow that I do recommend who I have do. some you know positive influence online. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get named in that. And and ever since then, Ben, I've been having new followers left, right, and center. You should see my activity. It's like I think I'm up. I'm I'm getting. I'm approaching a thousand followers. Wow. On the old wow. Twitbot. That is amazing. That? that is amazing. You are going to become an influencer. How on, many, how many followers do I need to like, get a, a blue check? I don't know. I, mean, I think I have like 6,000. So I, I pale in comparison to all these, all these housing bears. I think you can get it. You have to like apply for it, you know? Show you're your passport. You're a blue check guy. You're a blue know. check guy. I should be. I you should, should get a blue check. You know who should get a blue check? <laughs> Our guest today. Our guest today. <laughs> you know, he is responsible for all corporate operations, including leading the residential division at Candarell, a real estate owner and developer founded in 1975 in Montreal. Today's guest is uh, is exciting, and uh, since joining the Toronto office in 2003, he has been intimately involved with the acquisition and execution of several landmark residential developments, and he works hand-in-hand with the planning, marketing, sales, and construction teams to ensure the successful completion of every project by bringing thoughtful and astute judgment to managing relationship with, relationships with Candarell's partners, lenders, and senior staff. With his Bachelor of Science in Math and Statistics from McGill, oh oui, bonjour. Ben <laughs> Rogowski has moved up the corporate ladder and is now Executive Vice President and COO of Candarell. Very exciting to have you on the show, and uh, thanks for joining us. Ben, welcome. Thanks, guys. After, after a, 
about 18 months of trying to get you. We finally <laughs> nailed you down. Yeah. We had to set a private jet to Hawaii to pick him up. <laughs> he was uh, gallivanting around the world. Said it was yeah. always business related, but I mean, I don't know how many developments Ken are all doing in Hawaii. <laughs> We're evaluating <laughs> lots. Yeah. 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 Evaluating <laughs> lots. It's all that matters. But anyways, listen, thanks for uh, coming and uh, joining us. No, it's great to be here. Thanks, guys. So let's let's jump into it. So you're uh, a math and statistics degree. Did you plan to be a uh, you know a teacher? What was what was the plan after after graduation? I uh, I always knew I'd be in real estate. My my dad uh, was a real estate developer. Still is alive. Just retired, um, but uh, was a real estate developer in Vancouver for wow. uh, for a long time, on a small scale, single family homes, townhomes, land. Um, and so I always knew I'd be in real estate. I just didn't know how I'd fit in. Um, I tried a few different uh, streams in university and landed on math because that's what I liked the most and that's what I was best at. And it was really just a means to an end. Uh, I didn't know what that end was going to look like, but I figured coming out of university, uh, it could be lending. Uh, so I spoke to a few different groups, uh, you know, similar to, to Cameron Stevens. This is back in 2002. And then a good buddy of mine was at Candorel as an analyst. He uh, left to go to business school and he was told he had to replace himself. Wow. I didn't want to work <laughs> for a developer, but I agreed to go in just so he could tick the box and say that he uh, brought people in uh, to, uh, to interview. And the rest is history. Wow. So yeah, it worked well. Wow. So you're almost at 20 years then. Uh, yeah, I guess 2000. Yeah, next year will be 20 years. I was, years. I was looking on LinkedIn. I saw the 19 years, 19 years plus a couple of months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are, 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 you, are you expecting like a, a Rolex? Or are they going to get <laughs> a trip, trip to Hawaii? Yeah, we'll back to Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Another trip to Hawaii. Perfect. <laughs> Maybe I can set up an office there. You know. <laughs> That's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I was in France and uh, there's a couple different pockets that are just beautiful that are undiscovered by the North Americans. And uh, I was talking to a developer friend. He's He's like, well, we better get over there and start buying up the real estate so we can ruin that place too. <laughs> Just like every other little come note. Come on, yeah. come on. That's that's everyone saying Toronto's Toronto's eating up everything good. So I, I actually did a tweet talking about all some of the great things that Toronto has added over the last few years. So, like uh, the aquarium, the aquarium. You know, uh, <laughs> I love the Regent Park. You know, athletic uh, area and park there, and the uh, Corktown Commons is is amazing. The Underpass Park. You know what else yes. we have? What's that? We had it uh, since 2003. It was uh, a. a condo called DNA2 on King Street West. <laughs> yeah, Ken so. launched that for 275 bucks a square yeah. foot. With suites starting at $130,000. <laughs> so can you just explain how that worked? <laughs> wow. What, what a time, eh, to be uh, to yeah, be when you look ago. at those numbers. What that's do you remember good. about that uh, that project? And well, that, I mean, that, that project get... sort of uh, uh, did things in a different way because, I mean, DNA stood for downtown's next address. And, and the idea was that it was kind of a cool and, and funky, you know, building in, in a, an upcoming cool and funky area that we were going to develop. There, there weren't uh, many, like there were a bunch of condo projects done in the, you know, like in the 90s in King West. And then it got quiet for a while. And then, you know, the big rush started in the, uh, the mid 2000s. So that was one of the first kind of new generation condo projects there. Uh, it did. It did really well. I should have kept my units that I that I bought instead of uh, selling them, you know, soon after completion. Um, that 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 area 
has done really well in attracting end users who who want to stay there, and uh, it, it's become really sticky. Uh, and we followed that on with DNA three in uh, maybe two thousand and. 12, we launched sales there. Wow. Finished that in. That's, that's a big gap between yeah. two and three. <laughs> well, two, two we finished maybe in 07, 08. And then in 08, we bought the land for three. Okay. You know, zoning, you know, you think back then it'll take you a year. It ends up taking you three years. And then uh, trying to remember when we launched sales there. Maybe we launched sales in 10, started building in 12. Wow. And so you mentioned something, but it's interesting because I, I do ask some developers this about actually buying units in their buildings. And the one thing we we actually talked about Brad and uh, Brad Lamb, and the one thing I loved that I respected about him is in every project that he represented the sales, he bought two or three or four, even four units. Right? He actually mm-hmm. believed in what he was selling. So it's 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 nice to hear that you actually buy units in some of the projects that you guys develop. Yeah, no, I haven't done it in in a while because I, I'm I'm effectively a a part owner of the projects. Yeah. So I've got enough money invested in the success of the projects um, that uh, that I haven't been buying units. But I did it for for many years when when I didn't have ownership and on on the uh, on the uh, partnership side of things. Nice, nice. I was actually just talking to my real estate agent about an hour ago, and uh, it's an interesting conversation because I I bought a unit to live in. Um, at one Scott Street uh, yeah. citizen building that Sam Crignano, who was our, our last guest on the show, or so two guests ago, I yep. guess, yeah, uh, built and lives it himself. But it's a 700 square foot unit, one bedroom. And I'm just sort of thinking, like, do I hold on to this thing? It's been probably almost, I think I've had it for seven years. It's it's like an interesting thing. It's like, what do you do with it, right? Like, do you keep it forever? Is that just Hold like forever? Yeah, it'll be Reggie's unit because yeah. he won't be able to afford anything. <laughs> Yeah. Reggie's my son. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe that is a plan. I guess so. But it's sort of like, or do you take like the cash out and redeploy? Like now that we're doing, like you said, like we're doing bigger deals, and I've got ownership in, in you know, like larger scale. Do you redeploy the capital into to something like that? But I don't know. Being a, you know, only one unit or two units, so it's a lot of work for yeah. the return you get. It's it's in hindsight, you know, I would have I would have you know bought one or two a project, accumulated them. Uh, you know, by the time we were going to close, could have mortgaged out. Yeah. And uh, if I w- if I would do it again now, I w- I would have kept those, paid down the mortgage, you know, yeah. get to the point where you've got a small portfolio that's covering itself, and you're yeah. building up equity. Yeah. And then, you know, like you said a minute ago, Ben, our, our kids will need somewhere to live, and <laughs> they could have their pick. That that would have yeah. been ideal. Yeah. I if I had the hindsight. Interesting. Well. Uh, look- my, my- Reggie can save up his own money and buy his own yet. He's, not get, he's gonna get no freebies. No I'm telling my daughter's no Mary Rich, <laughs> Rich yeah. and you know a, a, a PJ and a yacht would be nice where yeah. uh, the father-in-law could have access to it. Yeah, yeah, for the wedding, right? Yeah. Well, let, let's just jump into your, you know, probably your most famous project, your most talked about uh, project. 2008. So we're fast forwarding a few years. You've been at been at Kendrell for for half a decade at this point in time. Uh, Aura. You know, at the time, 75 stories, um, you know, t- tell us a little bit about the confidence that has to go into launching a 75-story tower in downtown. And building, and building yeah. a 74-story. It's like building three buildings on top of each other. Yeah, yeah. so that kind of, you know, it's it, it started um, in a very careful way, and then it, it kind of accidentally, on purpose, ended up becoming what, what it was. 
Um, and what I mean by that is when we started the planning process for that building, the, the vision was a 50-story building on the corner of Young and Girard, and then a 25-story building on uh, just further west on Girard. Uh, the city came back quickly and said that 25-story building was casting an unacceptable shadow on the park in the middle of the block. Um, they didn't offer us any solutions. They just said that's a problem. Uh, so Michael Labrere, who was running our, our office at the time in, in Toronto, uh, this would have been in oh, maybe 06 at the time, said uh, as a joke in one of our meetings with the architects, why don't we just put the 25-story building on top of the 50-story building? We all laughed. <laughs> and then we said, well, like, what do we have to lose? Let's give it a try. And, uh, you know, the city turned around quickly and said, we, we don't even know how to respond to this proposal <laughs> because we've never seen anything like this before. So we just kept running with it. And we, uh, we designed the building at the time in a way that um, it was a uh, notionally a 50-story building with a 25-story building on top of it, but that were that could be run completely independent of each other. And in theory, the 25-story building could be built 20 years after the 50-story building was finished. Uh, so so separate, that, that's why you have two condo corps? So that's that's in part why we ended okay. up that way. Um, and so the systems were going to be completely separate, you know, life safety, mechanical, electrical, elevators, even amenities at the time, you know, lobby, everything different. Hmm. Um, and, and then what we said is let's, let's just start sales and we'll – We'll stop the building when the market tells us, you know, that's enough. Uh, this is beginning of 08. You know, we launched in February. People slept outside for like 10 days in winter <laughs> weather, just waiting to get into the sales office and buy suites. And the market just bought it all up. So we ended up going back um, and adding three more floors. So physically, it's 78 floors. We called it 80 just because, you know, marketing, yeah, marketing. No, no fourth floor, no 13th floor. Um, but yeah, the market just ate it up and we went. Um, so we ended up with a lot of shared systems, uh, but still two different condo corps. Wow. So you get, I think you guys get a little bit of slack for the underground mall under Aura. So what's, what's, what's the latest on that one? And uh, is, that, is that something that you guys, in hindsight, maybe regret doing? I don't even know about this underground mall. So now you need to tell me. I, I live in the city. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't think we would do uh, anything different in, in hindsight. You know, it, it, had the, it had the makings to be um, a, a successful part of the development successful you know part of the city the the problem ended up being that there's 122 individual condo owners that uh can't get together in terms of a joint vision and so you know if, if there isn't consistency among those owners on how to operate it and and what it should be in the end um th then it's almost Im impossible uh for it to be uber successful yeah. Um, and so that's the unfortunate part about it. But I, th I think the, or, you know, I have confidence that the vision that we set up uh, was a strong one. I'm just not sure how we could have done it differently in order to, um, to, to have consistency among their vision. Uh, you know, you can only put so many rules in place that, that can't be undone once they set up the condo corp. So what, what is the status of the retail and underground space now? What, 
But, so uh, it's, I, it, you know, it, it was it was fully uh, opened as of when the, the development was done. Uh, that part of the development finished in maybe it was late 13. Of the 122, probably half of them actually opened businesses and the other half struggled. You know, at that point, we lost control over it because the condo corp was set up. So I, I haven't checked in a while as to what it looks like today. I imagine... It's a lot of the same. It's probably yeah. half open, half not. There's probably a lot of uh, A-frames advertising, you know, bubble tea and cell phone repair shops. Yeah. <laughs> um, but well, we know where to go if we want to yeah, get you, our you, get a. You just can't control get some, that. Get some the ground floor tea. retail has done well, right? In the second yeah. floor retail. So the the so that was the underground. Then you had the ground floor, second floor, and third floor, right? Uh, which, which was done as a freehold component, uh, pre-purchased by a Kingset entity as oh, part really? of the original partnership deal we did with them when they came in as our partner in, uh, what was that, early 2010. Okay. Um, and so the ground floor had uh, three restaurants and the two banks. Okay. Second floor was uh, Bed Bath & Beyond. Third floor was Marshall's. Oh, right. Uh, they sold um, the, I guess they sold that whole podium to Ikea uh, last year maybe even the year before. Uh, and that Ikea just opened up recently. They ended up um, removing Bed Bath & Beyond, Marshalls, and the three restaurants. So Ikea's all three floors? Yeah. Or all wow. three levels, I guess. All yeah. the restaurants yeah. are gone, eh? Oh, yeah. interesting. How many square feet is that Ikea then, or all that retail? So it must be 120, 130,000 wow. feet. Wow. I, have no, I haven't checked that out, but I, I mean... Yeah, I had no idea. I, I knew mean, that there was an thought, IKEA in, in the city. I didn't know that's where it was. Yeah, well, they just opened it couple, last couple months. Huh. I thought there was some Madonna. <laughs> I thought there was some Madonna themed. So uh, above that, <laughs> on the fourth floor, which is technically the first floor of the of the of the lower residential condo, yeah, was about a forty thousand square foot fitness facility. That was what was it part, called? Uh, at the time, it was called Hard Candy. Hard Candy, yeah, that was that Madonna's. was Madonna, okay. and then yeah. it went through a couple iterations after that. And I think they're working on their next iteration. Interesting, interesting. So how do you guys go about deciding what the split is between residential and retail these days? So, that, I mean, that was an extreme example just because there's the so corner. much retail, yeah. so many levels. We had this giant podium that, that the city wanted us to build in order to get at the density above. And, uh, you know, you can't take a... 50,000 square foot plate and and do residential in a proper and, and meaningful way. Uh, at one point we thought about asking the city or we did speak to them and, and the idea was to do uh, parking above grade um, that would be kind of on the inside part of a donut yeah. and then have residential suites around it. So the podium to the, you know, to the naked eye at street level would just look like residential suites, but the bulk of it would be parking on the interior. The city couldn't wrap their head around above grade parking yeah. uh, if it wasn't absolutely required. Uh, so we had to push all the parking below grade, ended mm. up doing all that retail. I mean, retail is important uh, in, in an urban con context. Uh, you really need retail to liven up the street and to provide an amenity to the units above. So we typically have retail at grade Second floor and above becomes more challenging. Yeah. yeah. It, second floor retail and above rarely, if ever, pays for the cost of creation. That's that's the challenge. Yeah. We uh, just there's so many 
condo projects that are not in A locations that the city requires them to build retail grade and they're still sitting there vacant years and years after, which, right? Which is too bad because it it, too bad. it's not achieving the goal of having activity at street level. And, uh, and, and you could replace that with townhomes or something that would have a much nicer street appeal. And then you see examples of, you know, there's a development right across the street from, from our, where our office is right now on Bay. Uh, we're on Bay Street just south of Bloor by a few blocks. Okay. And on the west side, yeah. uh, there's a beautiful development there with townhomes at grade facing on Bay uh, that do nothing for the street appeal. Is that the, uh, I don't want to say their name, but the Conservatory Group project? No, it's it's no. not them. It's it's, not them. Uh, it's another big group. So, you, so you're saying it doesn't add to the... It, it, no. You're not a fan? It's just a blank wall right on Bay Street. Oh, it's a bl- it's not the front doors aren't facing on to the street. I, I'm not even sure because I haven't been on the inside of the right, donut right. development. But uh, it feels more like a back door and it's just a blank wall with no landscaping. Yeah, that's not ideal. And you know what? It, it's not the developer's fault. It's probably what the city pushed them to do. Yeah. Huh. And that's some weird. retail there would have been great. Yeah. yeah. I was. I already mentioned I was in... France, and I'll probably talk about it a few other times. But I mean, you, you go. I mean, like the way that they've created the all the retail, every every everything you can walk up to, and all these little side streets with residential above it. You know, you just stare at these beautiful, this beautiful architecture. And you're like, why don't we? Why can't we? Figure? My wife kept asking me, and she, you know, and I'm I'm trying to explain her like the whole process and why developers sort of get backed into a corner and in a building what they end up building cost has a big part to do with it, but obviously planning as well in the city. But you look at it and you sort of say, when you just approach it in a very simple manner, it wouldn't be that difficult to put a two-story facade of some nice brick or some nice stone with some nice Juliet balconies and then reset or reset the condo back, even if it's five feet from that, you'd still have the, the density above it and then you kind of create something different. But I mean, a lot of this retail we've built in the last 10 years is it's it's tacky like it's not nice and it doesn't really it, they're they're poorly designed in terms of shape and size and they're too big for the small guy and they're too small for the big guy and it just you know the numbers don't work and the second floor retail definitely doesn't work it's hardly worth the replacement value you know i don't know i mean as a city we've, we've got to do better at, at thinking about this and, and planning it although when you, when you hear about what's happening at ikea with ikea sort of worked out so it's, it's yeah but that's probably a rare it's a very it's an anomaly rare for instance. sure yeah um you know unfortunately we spend so much time worrying about the architecture of our buildings and what they look like you know on the roof level at 60 floors up and not enough time spending you know thinking about what it looks like at the ground level mm-hmm. six feet up where where where, yeah, where all the eyes are, are looking yeah. so that that's i mean we've talked about that a million times this is just if developers did a better job at how the buildings met the ground, then they'd have a lot less problems with getting the height that they wanted, right? So, I, I, the I money give, should be spent there. I give uh, I, I give Nerez a hard time, mod. I'm like, oh, great heritage building. Thanks for putting in a, a Royal Bank of Canada over half it. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, listen. The other problem too is you know the the boutique kind of. Uh, the small mom and pop shops they don't pay they, they don't, can't well, pay I mean they might pay but they're not triple A tenants and then you don't get the, you know you, the takeout the life companies eat up the big box guys in yeah. the banks you know you get a triple A tenant yeah, I mean I, obviously I don't blame right? I mean, if of RBC course. wants to take your space you everyone's say, like why, you. why are these A&W's and Popeye's going on every corner and, and Rexall going on every corner in the city I remember when the I think the bank note closed at 
Bathurst and King and they put a Rexall in there and like the world, rightfully so in a lot of ways, you know, why another Rexall? Well, I mean, if you're, if you own the building and you get a national tenant like Rexall, you're taking that 10 times out of 10. Yeah. But it does not, you know, it's not, it's not like a nice little uh, pub with atmosphere and history. It (laughs) smells like, you know, rotten beer suds. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> are, are you, you know, consciously trying to do any uh, in any of your sites, small, more smaller scale retail, or are you just each site's really different? It, yeah. it depends um, what what it lends itself to, and and what the uh, what what the city's looking for. You know, on some of our projects where we're we're part of the Section Thirty Seven is giving space and kind. The typically tip the city typically looks for that to be a grade. So that can eat up a bunch of your your space that you'd otherwise give for, uh, or you'd otherwise put retail in. Um, but we always want there to be some retail. Yeah. And do you ever have you ever cut any deals with uh, with with tenants before you've even started construction, and they they wanted to customize their space from day one? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, it actually happens more often than not because in um, you know in in a lot of cases you've got a tenant there with a long lease and you have to do a deal with them in order to pave the way to build your 50 story building. Yeah. Uh, but you're planning around a 5,000 square foot tenant who's got rights uh, to come back in or, or you're obligated to put them back in. Hmm. So yeah, we very often work with them early on. Yeah, I, I like that. There's a McDonald's at the bottom of that, uh, the building at Bloor and, and Avenue <laughs> yeah. Road, and the uh, the basis. Well, that was the only project. way to make that oh, yeah. happen, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, they took they yeah they had to cut a deal with corporate McDonald's corporate to do that deal. Sean Fleming actually, shout out Sean, uh, was part of uh, putting that deal. That's together. a great looking building though, like just stunning. Oh, yeah. I, I love the and look the of that. the views. I was actually looking. There's some resale available uh, in that building. I was looking at them on MLS. With like the the view south over the Rom, because you'll never have and it'll never be blocked. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So it's it's actually a great development for that reason, and they're beautiful balconies. And um, anyway, getting back to uh, yeah, to let's, Camarilla, get back to you. I, let's ask talk about these <laughs> other developers and their projects. Come on. So, so in 2014, uh, you launched uh, 634 units at Young and College and sold about 90 percent of those units in the first month. Do you regret uh, looking back? selling that quick or do you think at the time it was the right strategy for you guys absolutely regretted <laughs> absolutely you know what we, we 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 looked at it i mean this is kind of a silly exercise but we looked at it uh just a few years ago and said like how, how much money did those purchasers make and how does that compare to what we made as as owners or developers of right. the project oh, this is a slippery and, slope. and it was like many times over yeah uh the purchasers made with 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 very little you know equity uh in play for them. Um, but you know, that, that's, that's only a valid exercise if you've got the means and, and, and the, the risk tolerance to build something on spec, which you're never doing. Right. But in hindsight, um, we, we should have controlled uh, that sales process a lot better. And we should have had uh, more confidence in the market than we did at, at that, and it wasn't really at that time. Just as a company, historically, we've been very risk averse. We've been interested in you know selling out 100% as fast as we can, knowing your construction costs are and all the other costs are predictable, so we can get at building it, lock in our profit, and move on to the next one. Um, but if if we knew then that 
you know, this was going to be a 20 year run and there was always going to be a buyer for product, yeah. then we would have stopped at 65 or 70 percent saying, OK, we hit our break even or whatever that number is, 80 percent. Get your bank financing at 60 yeah, we, to 70 percent. We're at break even yeah. and, and let's just roll the dice on the rest. And and the worst that can happen is, you know, we sell a few years later for what we were selling for at that time. So not to rub salt in the wound, but do you remember what was the price per foot you sold in 14? Yeah, it was uh, $729 a square foot on average. That whole building is double that now easily on resale. Yeah, I was I was talking to Devin. No, and we were thirty bucks higher than than the building across the street that launched a month before us. So we were like we were thrilled. Killing it, yeah. Yeah. Who sold that for you? You did it yourself? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we've done everything ourselves. You do that in house. Yeah, Yeah, I was talking to Devin Cranston, Cranston Capital, and he was and uh, because I was just at it reminded me because I was just in Yorkville this weekend and looked at the project and and I think they started like this Yorkville project like eight hundred twenty bucks a foot by the time they were finished units were selling at like 1800 bucks a foot and he's like all oh, these the purchasers made way more money than the developers are our investors it's, yeah they freaking yeah. killed it yeah so. you hear that all the time and then and then after 2014 um you guys didn't sell or you didn't launch another project for about five years so is that just because you you were so upset with yourselves for uh <laughs> licking the wounds or or what or what was what was the thought behind that it just didn't feel like the market was was there you couldn't find a site or no, you know what? I think a we were a bit, a bit fussier than we should have been in terms of of what our next project was going to look like, um, and we missed out on some opportunities that, in hindsight, we should have uh, we should have jumped on. Um, you know, we were just looking for perfect returns. You know, coupled with the lowest amount of risk. We were also busy in in other markets. We were very busy in Montreal with a few big projects at the time. So it wasn't like as a company we were we were twiddling our thumbs, but we were just taking our time in uh, in Toronto. Got it. So yeah. tell, tell us quickly, just for those who don't know about Kenderall, I mean, obviously you're, you're, you're in the residential space. It's your main focus, but you guys are involved in a lot of other developments and different asset classes, predominantly in Montreal and Quebec, but... Um, you guys are in Vancouver. Vancouver. Yeah. So, so give, give us a bit of corporate landscape. Sure. So we're, we're in uh, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, uh, small presence in Fort McMurray, then Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, Quebec City. So we have wow. offices in, in all those places. Um, How many total staff do you have? So we're between 450 and 500. Wow. wow. Uh, How many of those are office and how many of those are site? That's a specific question, but um, CEO knows that. Yeah. <laughs> we're probably We're probably... 100 or so on the sites. But when I say on sites, it's in buildings in a property management capacity. We don't do our own construction, so we don't have construction site staff. Then on top of that, we have we, we own 100% of a project management company based out of Ottawa that has close to 300 staff, um, but that operates under a different name uh, and, and is only integrated within Candorel in a few ways. Um, but so for the most part, it, it, it runs on its own. They do project management uh, predominantly for the federal government oh, uh, yeah. in the national capital region, mm-hmm. uh, but also do some work in, uh, out in the regions across the country um, and, and even outside of the country. Uh, for example, when the government builds out a new embassy and who knows where, yeah. uh, you guys. They, they, they use us. Yeah. Wow. wow. Huh. So is that um, your biggest business? Is that the biggest... No, I think that the core real estate business is 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 our largest. Yeah. Um, 
we, we do a combination of, of development uh, for our own projects and also for others, third-party development management. Um, we do leasing, uh, again, for our own projects and sometimes for others. Um, we'll do project management, so kind of one step short of construction uh, for ourselves and for others. Okay. Um, on the real estate side, it's industrial, retail, residential, uh, and office. Um, we yeah. property manage about 30 million square feet. Wow. Uh, about a third of that, we have some ownership stake in. Wow. Two thirds of that is, is arm's length. And that's, I would guess, uh, 40 or 45% office, probably uh, 15 to 20% retail, 15 to 20% industrial. I wonder it took 18 months to lock you down for a date. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I keep it all straight. So. You guys are busy. What yeah. would be the biggest asset class of the office, industrial, residential? Office. Office is the biggest. Office, yeah, I, and, I saw and it's in the mostly web. urban. Yeah. Yeah, mostly like down, downtown. So, so how are you office. feeling about offices? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the same question. How are you feeling? I'm about bullish office? on office. I got to state that I'm I'm in the middle of renovating. We're doubling our office space. I believe in the city. I believe in in the office. Um, I think people are crazy to think that the working from home thing is going to last forever. Not everybody agrees with me, but that's my stance. Curious. Obviously, you may have a a political or a fiduciary duty to say that you feel the same way about <laughs> suburban office, but but what what do you what are you guys thinking with no, where I you're think, at and all your assets? I think sub suburban office has has its challenges. Um, uh, you know, downtown office, I'm an absolute believer in. Uh, I'm still a believer in in suburban office, but it just feels like it's been one step slower to uh, to, to get people back. Um, I, I am not a believer in this work from home. Uh, I am a believer that we have to offer it. We have to offer a hybrid to our employees. I hate it myself. Uh, I was in the office every day all throughout COVID, except for those few weeks where we were locked down. But even during those few weeks, off the record, I was in the office. I snuck in. Um, off the record, on the record. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I, know. Uh, I, I didn't. I yeah, went I mean, to the office every day. <laughs> there, there's lockdowns. just no way that, that we can collaborate and learn from each other on, on Zoom. Um, I agree. And so I would, you know, I tell all of our young people, like, get, get in the office, you know, get here. Are they listening? Uh, no. I know. No. They I are listening uh, in part. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've, so we, as a company, we've told our staff minimum three days a week, you have to be in the office. Uh, they, we, we let the teams select their three days. Um, cons I would say, uh, aside from a few exceptions, most of them have picked Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, which yeah. is not surprising. <laughs> we have um, the, I feel like you're talking about our office. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the same story, whoever you talk to. So, yeah. you know, we, we will get more strict with that. Like we're, we're moving offices uh, in November. Okay. Um, because our, the, the building that we're in right now, we've been there for 20 years. Uh, it, it's slated for demolition and a, a new big tower will go up there Where at some moving? point. So we're moving just, um, I don't know if it's, uh, if, it, if it's public knowledge yet, but we're, we're staying in the area. Okay. Just on Bloor Street. Uh, what is that? West of Bay. Great. Um, so we're very excited. It's, it's a new, it's a turnkey space. It's open concept. Uh, you know, lots of glass. Uh, just a few offices, mostly on the inside. Okay. Uh, lots of collaboration space. It'll be completely different. It'll be a huge adjustment for everyone, including myself. I'm not yeah. sure how I feel about it yet, but 
but I'm excited about yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, I think I mentioned it on uh, one of the podcasts before, but John Love was talking about this, and he said it's too easy for pe- for young people just to change screens. If you're just on on Zoom for all your interactions with the people you work with, it's just easy. You just change screens, and you're working for another company, right? Yeah. I had a had you know one of my employees was was straight, you know, work from home. And what do you mean? Sorry, what do you mean? Change screens? You just you show up every day, and the only interaction you ever have with the people you work with is on a screen. Right. So you just change zooms and you're working at a different company all right oh you know, so that's like there's no identity there's no yeah it. there's no uh, like real inter- no interaction like no i culture. didn't i felt like i you know i didn't even know the guy right because we weren't sitting beside each other we weren't going out to lunch we weren't just having those casual conversations that that makes you feel connected to where you work yeah, right no no so. not that we need to, to digress too much in, into the Onto the topic, but I, I agree with you. You know, the younger generation—it's crazy to think for them to think that they're going to have career progression and opportunity and upside sitting at home when they don't know anybody. We've had a couple of young people quit go somewhere else and say that, oh, you know, they weren't promoted or they don't didn't feel like there's any company culture. I'm like, we've been in the office for at least a year now, maybe 18 months, and I've seen you maybe three times. Like, you don't come in. You're on your three-day schedule. You just, you know, it's very difficult. And then then they they say they're leaving for more flexibility. You're just like... How much more can you yeah, have? <laughs> yeah, so you want to be promoted, but you want to stay home more. And it's just none of it's aligning with the other. And to me, a lot of the opportunity I had in my career, you know, a lot of it was, you know, you go for coffee in the path and you run into someone you haven't seen in eight months and you sit down for coffee and they say, well, have you met this person? You should get to know them. And next thing you know, you're doing a deal with, you know, organically through through just, you know, networking. We've lost that. And it's very difficult. You know, you can cut deals if you have to on Zoom, but people do business with people they like and trust. And the only way to get to know someone is by really getting, you know, getting to know them. And I, I have people call me that, that, that I met 15 years ago. I'm like, Ben, I really enjoyed that conversation we had 15 years ago. I need a market study, right? <laughs> it's just yeah. unbelievable yeah. how these these things come along and, and how much of the business that I, I get now is from relationships I made from going to build events and going to ULIs and going to the uh, land and development conferences, right? And meeting new people. And and when the business that I'm in is, is data analysis, but it's you have to be able to read between the lines, right? It's more than just, okay, here's what's selling for price per square foot. You got to know all these inside conversations and, and things that are happening. So I, I feel bad for young people if they they just want to, you know, get a, get wake up, sit in their pajamas and and get on their computer in bed and, and never interact with their <laughs> their fellow employees. So, Sorry, so just a, another quick question on the office and and specifically suburban office so obviously with the increase in interest rates presumably cap rates are going up i mean it may hurt the the portfolio i'm assuming you financed at some level conservatively because you, you mentioned you guys are a conservative group some of those assets but do you look at this as a as a buying opportunity for more office space with just the current vacancies and, and where the the uh the rates are at um so selectively yeah we do look at it as as buying opportunities but there's just generally, whether it's residential land or suburban office or downtown office, uh, there still seems to be a, a, a disconnect between what sellers are willing to sell for and what buyers are willing to buy. And, and that's typical of, of, a, uh, of an environment where things are changing fast and everyone's not sure you know, w- when the interest rates will stop going up and what that will look like. Uh, and so I find that we're in that kind of no man's land right now where not a lot's happening. There aren't, there aren't benchmarks uh, or, or, or examples to look to for a trade across the street or around the corner to feel good about what you're buying. Right. 
So not much is happening. So, so when do you think that gap gap is going to close? I, I mean, I agree with you, and I think even with inclusionary zoning of, in, in regards to you know res land, the discount has to come out of the land. I don't think the landowners or building owners are ready to admit that their land is now worth less than it was pre-inclusionary zoning. So that gap is, I think, it's probably an eighteen-month window. But if, speaking of like though, the my thing? the 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 bullpen consulting and Batory management land insights report is coming out, and it's actually a pretty big. Deal declines in land prices so be interesting to see it seems like it's already happening but i don't know if that's inclusionary zoning or if that's the fact that construction costs have gone up 40 percent in (laughs) 28 months or something like that right i I think it's some of both of those and and i think also you know less less buyer demand and and if you've got a seller who needs to sell or wants to sell you know then then they'll take what they can get but but even then if if land price you know if land price is cut in half um you know, it, it, it doesn't it doesn't make that much of a difference to your pro formas because of what's happened with DCs and inclusionary zoning and construction costs Green and everything else. Everything. And your pro formas, what are you, what what's the, the land in there for? Is it mostly a ten, fifteen percent? Depends it's it's a loaded question based on when the land was bought, right? Yeah. And if it was bought zoned or but bought. Do you, want, do you always mark the market when you're you're looking at it? Well, what you usually do is you'll write it in as as whether they not the cost, but you write it in as value, and then what most developers are looking for is an appraisal surplus bump to be applied to their equity, right? So if they bought the land fifty years ago for a dollar <laughs> and it's worth fifty million, then it's, that that's your cash equity in the deal, and yeah. they use that. You know, typically you're, you're trying to use that as uh, as your equity in your capital stack. Yeah. So, but I mean, a lot of developers are flush and put a lot of cash in and don't need to recognize that i'm assuming you guys are probably on that side more than the we're pretty the, aggressive in, yeah. in how we look to finance um just because we, we you know we're, we're playing in so many places across the country and it, in terms of the candorail piece that we put in it's it it's it's house money and we only have so much of it so you know we we'd rather play in more places nothing makes a guy like me more excited than when someone tells me they're aggressive in the way they finance things <laughs> You're, gonna, you're, looking, you're definitely getting a call after this. No, absolutely. <laughs> we're, we're always looking to be creative. In a good way. Tell me you're flexible next and we're going to be doing business together by 5 p.m. Well, well, <laughs> no, but you know what? So, someone asked us, what, one of our uh, kind of partner lenders many years ago said, I, I don't understand this. Like you're, you know, you're, you're, you're willing to borrow from us. Um, you know, I think it was a 20% IRR we were going to give them over a short period and it wasn't a big amount of money. But at the time, we, you know, we just didn't have the money to do that project. So our view was if the project's going to return a 40 IRR exactly. and we're giving them 20, then it's better than us not doing the project. Exactly. Well, it's like leverage and, you know, it's how it works, how the game works. A lot of people have gotten very rich by investing other people's money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know. Well, I'm a, I'm a market guy, so I always always got to ask some um, some market uh, market questions. So, um, I'm looking at your latest launch. I didn't see a single unit over a thousand square feet, and about twenty percent of the, the suites were studios. How do you go about programming your suite mix these days? Is a hundred percent market decision, or and how are you or, or how are you can you know considering you know construction costs, parking requirements, uh, you know the 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 and maybe even the long term viability of the city? You know, is that even something that you would even take into consideration? So we, so yeah, all all of that. Um, we have seen a bit of a sh- of a shift, and um, so while on. 
our, our two projects, uh, St. Clair West, 900 and 908 St. Clair, and then another one at Bayview Village, 625 Shepherd Avenue East. Those three projects are, you know, 10 to 12 story buildings, predominantly small units. Um, but we did see quite a bit of demand from purchasers looking to combine units and, and, and create larger suites. You know, as large as like there's one of the purchasers put four units together to get up to just under 4,000 square feet. Wow. Um, and so, you know, that's a bit of an outlier on the extreme side of things. But we we have sold several combination suites that add up to between 2,000 and 2,500 square feet. Um, so on our most recent recent project at Bathurst and St. Clair called 4A, um, we designed uh, it's, it's three buildings between 30 and 35 floors. Uh, and in one of the buildings, we took 10 floors. We're calling it the boutique component. And um, those suites can be as large as you want them to be. Wow. Um, and so they're, they're designed really, if someone wants to take a whole floor at 8,000 feet, wow. go for it. See? Even if you want to combine floors. <laughs> the, 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 so demand, so the demand for that is there. Yeah. The reason, or part of the reason I believe you haven't seen much of it is as developers in the past, we have to hit pre-sales targets. We, we have been relatively, our industry has been relatively risk averse. So if the buyers are there to chew up 90 or 95% of the units, then we're selling those units. Yeah. And the buyer who's looking to buy a two and three and 4,000 square foot suite typically doesn't want to be in a 50 or 60 story building right. and also doesn't want to buy before you've even started a five-year construction cycle. Right. So, so we, we, our industry has believed the demand isn't there, but it's there. So is the idea to sell all the smaller suites, get your pre-sales and then sell the boutique suites at a later so we, point we, we, we in, launched, in the project? We launched a handful of the boutique suites. Yeah. And a bunch of them have sold. How many square feet on average are selling? Uh, between fifteen hundred and two thousand square feet. Okay, so they're they're big enough. And, yeah. And then how many? What about bathrooms and bedrooms? You can sort of customize what you want, or it's sort of. I mean, fixed. to a, to a certain extent. Yeah. Uh, the the ones we've sold so far are, you know, we're not simply selling a two thousand square foot space. We're selling, you know, a 2000 square foot suite yeah, that, right, that right. is fully designed, but the bedrooms will be bigger. The, the bathrooms will be bigger. Um, it feels more like a home in the sky. Versus and it's a much a small more, condo. I, I assume it's a much more uh, end user focused building yes. than an investor. That, that component. Yeah, for sure. And that component. And w you know, if, if we were just a 35 story building, trying to do that all the way up, it, it would have challenges. But like I said, it's the top 10 floors of the building. It has its own lobby at grade, its own elevators, oh, really? its own amenity spaces. Interesting. So it's really a building within a building. It's your specialty, the 25 story on top of the 50. <laughs> yeah. Now we got 10 on top of 20. Yeah. You guys figured out your little niche. I like it. It's, it's, it's interesting just, you know, as someone who, who tries to understand markets and, and tries to understand where the buyers are. I mean, I, I fundamentally understand someone combining suites at, at uh, you know, in Bayview Village or on St. Clair and Avenue or St. Clair and Spadina. I'm not exactly sure what where four is. I should. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't get it as much on St. Clair because it's not as affluent an area to see people combining suites I there. I was surprised right? there. I was surprised. Like, we're St. Clair West around, uh, we're at Alberta, which is just west of Christie. Um, but I was very surprised at the buyer profile there. A, a lot of 
move down buyers who who aren't looking to trade down from their 4,000 square foot house into a thousand square foot condo and then put money in their pocket. They're looking to trade down from 4,000 to 2,000 and and happy not putting money in their pocket, but they're going to get exactly what they want in terms of a livable unit for the next phase of their life. And we saw... It's an interesting. We did five or six of those combo suites like that, which wow. in a hundred-unit building is is That's a pretty a yeah. pretty big proportion. Yeah. I That's think the whole idea of these boutique high-end high-end boutique condos, where the empty nester is selling the big house to move into a condo to put a whole bunch of equity in their pockets, is a bit of a a bit of a myth because I don't yeah. think necessarily they're looking to put the money into their pocket. It's just get me what I want, get me something more convenient, something that fits my lifestyle a little bit better three underground parking stalls. I don't have to shovel the driveway. Like it's not, it's, it's more lifestyle than it is. Oh, I need money. You know, like at that level, I think it's, it's different than, Oh, I need to yeah. put a million yeah. dollars th- in I my think, bank account for retirement. I think those people are moving and going to Grimsby exactly. and St. Catharines yeah. yeah. and Niagara on the lake and Niagara Falls and, and going to some of those cheaper areas. And, and then if you have you a know, $7 million house in the annex and you're moving, you know, you're going to stay, you know, you might go to Christie Pitts and want to stay in the, the area. You're yeah. Not, yeah. You don't need to. And anyway, depends on everyone's life situation. Yeah. Well, I got an interesting question for you. And, and, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this because I think there was a, a Globe article that you were quoted in. So maybe I'll, uh, uh, it's a bit of a long question. So I was chatting with a guy named Ben Smith of uh, Avesdo at a recent, you know, BizNow event. And he mentioned that Vancouver is selling, you know, three bedroom units with a lockup suite. I don't know if you've ever, ever seen this. So it's essentially uh, a one bedroom that can be rented out to someone else. Or in, if, if, if in the future you're saying, okay, I'm just going to put my mother in there. I'm going to put the mother my in law suite or yeah. mother in law, or I put my you know my kid in there that wants Lock to uh, kind of move out. Suite. Uh, I think maybe you said in the Globe article that you had someone that wanted to to do this. Is is that something that that might pop up as a potential option in in, in Toronto moving forward? Have you guys ever considered doing that in a in a building? Yeah, so we, we've seen it. Um, I've seen it recently twice in in two of our buildings. So I can't speak to how deep that market you know may or may not be, but. But the like the the one purchaser uh, in particular said, you know, right now I just need two bedrooms. Um, I know at some point in the future I'm going to need a third bedroom, either because I'm going to need full time care and, and and somewhere for them to live, and I don't necessarily want them to live in my unit, but I need them to be kind of in my unit. Hmm. Um, and so if I could have a, a one bedroom that kind of like the adjoining rooms concept in in a hotel. Uh, that idea, but they can have their own kitchen and their own washroom, uh, then then that's what I want. And until I need it, I'll keep that adjoining door locked and I'll rent it out to someone else. And for all intents and purposes, it'll be like a next door neighbor, uh, fully functioning. But I but I know when I'm ready, uh, I can expand because that, that, that becomes the biggest problem. Someone wants to move from uh, or expand from a two bedroom to a three bedroom. You know, in a house you can add on another piece. In a condo, you're you're out of luck. Yeah. You you have to you know you have to say goodbye to your yeah. two bedroom that you're in love with and go find something brand new. Yeah. So here's a way to expand and control your destiny that way. And people do talk about uh, combining suites after the fact, but you uh, but. No, you don't own the space between your units, right? Like if, if, if you bought the next unit, the Condo Corp technically owns the space in between those two units. Is that correct or no? The adjoining no. wall? Yeah. I think they technically, they, I don't know. That's a good I, question. I, I don't think so because you, I mean, you, you own half of that adjoining wall. Okay. So as long as it's an adjoining wall with no 
um, services running through it that belong to the condo corp, um, then yeah, you you own it. But you know, within these, especially the the high rise buildings, they're they're designed so efficiently from a structural standpoint. You you can't knock down a concrete wall. Yeah. Like you you may be able to put a small doorway through it, probably not full height, uh, but you have limited flexibility in terms of combining suites after the fact. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I've never heard about this concept of the suite within the suite, but it's, it's a yeah, great a lot, idea. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? Because, you know, if you buy a three-bedroom unit, the price per square foot is typically a lot lower. And then you could have your own investment suite right there. And then, yeah, when your kid's like, yeah, I don't want to live with mom and dad anymore. I'm like, okay, you live in the lockup suite. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know you're close, but you, you have your independence, I assume right? both units obviously would have a, a, a hallway entrance, right? So you have sort of yeah. your own private door. And yeah. that's a great idea. It's a really good idea. Huh. Well, so we have a, uh, a new segment because you know we've been talking pretty, <laughs> you know, high level here and everything's positive. But you know, for every every big developer, for any developer in the city, there's always something that really you know must really grind your gear. You know what really grinds my gears? So you just must like you know be in a boardroom with all the mics off and you need to say your. You know what really grinds my gears? <laughs> what, what is the one thing in the city right now and develop? Maybe not even the city in the country or some market you're working in. That is just really getting to you. That uh, that you know you you think about that situation. You're like, I don't even know if this is worth it anymore. This is just <laughs> yeah, get it off your chest. What, what do you, yeah, you got for us? Just yeah. the, the time. venting. The time it takes to get things done. And uh, we we had a situation. Uh, I don't know a year or so ago, or six months or so ago, where um, we were looking for a building permit for to start construction on a new project and. The, the city's response was, um, sorry, there's nothing we can do right now because you haven't been in the queue long enough. And, <laughs> and I just, I, I couldn't understand that. It was, it was like, what, what I heard was, um, m maybe you've met all the criteria, um, but I can't even look. And because you haven't suffered enough, <laughs> and suffered when enough. when I deem that you've suffered enough, I'll then open your file, and and we can talk about it. And we weren't looking for any, we we weren't derogating from all of the requirements. It was just like an open and closed file, and we had to escalate it. And we finally got the right person on the file who released the permit like the next day. But in this person's mind, like we were, st we still had six more months of of suffering before they were prepared to look at our file, and that's just wild because yeah. it probably took that individual just as long to to try and convince us we had more suffering than it would have been to open our file, file and see the all the boxes were ticked, release the permit, and move on. Uh, so that, that it, it just really grinds my gears. That, that I assume that uh, was in Toronto. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That that just got me. <laughs> okay. Let's let's. I have a question. I got okay, I got cool. something, and I and cool. I saw this on your website, and uh, it said that uh, the Candarel Consortium is that right? Signed an agreement to acquire the Commonar Real Estate Commonar Real Estate Investment Trust, which was valued at five point seven billion. It says it was completed in March of twenty twenty two, and this real estate deal is not only the largest in Candarel's history; it's also one of the most important real estate transactions in Quebec's history. And uh, I found that quite interesting and wanted to, uh, to ask a little bit uh, on that and, and see if you could give us the inside scoop of what the 
is it the commoner? Am I saying it the yeah, right? Yeah, commoner. The commoner, yeah. real estate investment trust is. Yeah, so that was, I think that was the reason we had to reschedule a, a couple times ago. Okay, because, because closing March 1st 5. was coming 7 up. 5.7 billion, and it's a, that's a good excuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, was, uh, it, it was a big, big transaction. Um, something we had been working on for, uh, for a couple of years. Uh, lots of starts and stops. Uh, it was a publicly traded REIT uh, that owned real estate in Quebec and Ontario. The Ontario portion was mostly in the Ottawa region. Uh, diversified REIT that had industrial, retail, office, uh, very little bit of, of residential rental uh, and some land. Um, we, we put together uh, a, f- a few different you know, pieces of, of that puzzle in order to get that transaction across the finish line. So Blackstone purchased uh, simultaneous with the closing, they purchased all of the industrial component. And then uh, Group Mock in, uh, in, in Montreal uh, purchased a large uh, portion of the portfolio, mostly office, a little bit of retail. Um, so mostly office in, uh, in Quebec City, some in Montreal, some in Ottawa. Um, and then we were left with around 60% or so of the, of the portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the consortium is a, is a group um, of of limited partners that that we put together that's that's made up of of us a group called uh, Front Four uh, based out of New York who's an activist investor who was there very very early on uh, at the same time as us then uh, Sandpiper slash Artists okay. uh, group uh, based out of uh, well Vancouver predominantly who we've known for a long time and then. Uh, the uh, uh, Coke group out of uh, out of the states, um, the, bro- the Coke brothers, Coke brothers, yeah. yeah. So with with that entire wow. group, that that's the consortium. That's big. Uh, it it was just crazy because every time one piece changed, it kind of de- you know derailed the whole transaction. So we're able to get all those. And what's predominantly in this parts. Um So w- what what we're left with is a lot of retail, a lot of uh, enclosed malls. Okay. Probably a dozen or more. A lot of uh, all in Canada. Uh, yes, ev- ev- all in Quebec. Uh, mostly in Quebec. A little yeah. bit, a little bit in the Ottawa region, okay. but mostly Quebec. Okay. Uh, a lot of office. A uh, little bit of of uh, residential. Yeah. And as a private entity, um, we just don't have to um, uh, follow or kind of uh, yeah, kind of w- walk the same walk as a public entity does in terms of shareholder pressures so so we can develop this and 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 extrapolate value um, in in a meaningful way so some some of these sites have development potential then almost all of them do wow yeah wow That's what's an enclosed mall in a small town in Quebec looking like right now <laughs> you know what they the they're looking really strong yeah. very high occupancy good um, you know the, the suburban product is at least on the retail side is doing extremely well so higher occupancy than when we underwrote the transaction and and rents have bounced back uh, very strongly. Um, so some of the ones that we slated for development may not get developed as soon as we originally thought because they're performing so well uh, from the income side of things. Interesting. Interesting. And what about, you mentioned Ottawa a little bit in the Ottawa uh, Valley, but what's happening in Ottawa right now from... Uh, your perspective. Are you guys I, doing I, a rental project there? Residential's yeah. somewhat busy, but condo's not doing as well there, no, is it? No, no. I mean, we 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 have one one project um, slated for development. Um, 
we purchased the land uh, beginning of this year. And it's a, two buildings, roughly 300,000 feet each one. Wow. Zoning was in place. We're just finishing our site plan approval process. So we're a bit, of, a, a bit off from starting construction. Like it's probably a six to 12 month construction start from now. So we don't quite yet have to make any, uh, you know, irreversible decisions, but right. <laughs> would like to see where the market is in terms of rents and construction costs before we start. Um, condo's always been challenging in Ottawa. It's, yeah. it's a sleepy market. Yeah. Um, Why is that? Is it just because of the, I think the it's, industry it's, there? I think the investors haven't gone there yet. The same right. way they've 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 been in Montreal and Vancouver and obviously Toronto. They did go crazy for a little bit. Maybe it was like, a short window. It was yeah, a like short window, eleven, twelve, right? And yeah. then the market just got completely oversupplied yeah. and yeah. and pricing was flat for like five years, right? Yeah, it was pretty pretty interesting. And then all those developers all converted their condo projects to, to rental to projects, rental, exactly, right? Yeah. So yeah, it seems to be a pretty strong rental market. So yeah, no, we think so. And and all of the indications are that uh, there's more supply than, or there's more demand than there is supply there for new rental. That's good. A lot of the rental is, is an old product. Um, so so we're excited about that, but we need construction costs to get in line I first. I also think that something at that scale will do, will probably do well, because I think a lot of the rentals have been smaller boutique buildings, which yeah. are nice maybe to live in, but they lack, I mean, a lot of them were built with uh, timber and, and not concrete. So there's probably some quality and sound issues in those buildings. They don't have amenities in them. They don't have, you know, a nice lobby or they don't have a nice uh, uh, concierge to take your package and, and some of those 40-unit apartment are, buildings. Are, those so, two, are the buildings going to share an amenity space? They're, they're going to have a, a bunch of shared uh, services. Yeah. Yeah. I assume with that much size and scale, you're going to put in, a, I don't know, party room, gym, pools, stuff like that? Or is, or is that not in the plans? No, there'll be a bunch of that, but also, you know, co-working facilities and, and, and other amenity spaces like that. And a lot of the purpose-built rental product there is, like you said, older smaller scale so it, you know they don't have the amenities that you typically see in bank in toronto projects right, right so there's an opportunity there well i i read a quote that you did in a newspaper and, and maybe i'm taking it out of context but i'll just read it it says we've been spoiled as an industry and it hasn't forced too much creativity i see that changing i think it was and this might have been a couple of years ago is there you know is there a lack of creativity in in the develop in the residential development industry and and uh is it changing has it changed so yeah, I think it's changing. I think, I think we've come a long way, um, and you know the the, the projects that uh, Ian Gillespie uh, at West Bank has done in Toronto uh, ha has been great for the city. Yeah, um, and and it's really forced the rest of us to up our game and be more creative. And when I say we've been spoiled, you know, you you opened your doors, you sold out, and you know this is since like the you know two thousand. Seven, seven probably, eight, yeah. 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 Like you opened your doors, you sold out. You, you, you didn't have to really think that far outside the box. You were probably actually punished for thinking that, that far outside the box because <laughs> the buyers didn't understand it and yeah. didn't appreciate it. I didn't care. So why would you take the risk there? But but now you've got a lot of product. You have the buyers are are far more sophisticated, and and we have to offer good product. And so I think the creativity has started. It's got a long way to go. I can't tell you what exactly that looks like because we all, you know, I assume other developers are doing the same thing. We're spending a lot of time with our teams and with our consultants brainstorming what new condo buildings will look like or what aspects of new condo buildings will look like. And we'll slowly kind of institute 
creative things will, you know, one or two at a time per project. Yeah, it was interesting because I remember a few years ago, everyone was talking about how do we build, you know, the underground because everyone's going to have an uh, autonomous car. <laughs> it's funny how we don't really talk as much about autonomous cars anymore because they keep hitting people and <laughs> knocking things over and they can't. There's just too many things in the real world to for a computer to to, to manage. So you don't have to worry about your uh, autonomous car port cocher. Uh, but but, but what would be if there's one one sort of creative element to to condo development going forward? Uh, what, what, would, what would you like to see or what were you guys focusing on? Oh, gosh. Uh, I, I can, mean, it, yeah. it, it, you know, there isn't really one that jumps into mind, but I think it's a combination of, of how to make the spaces more efficient. So whether that's um, furniture uh, or, or other technologies, um, you know, like here in Toronto, you've got a balcony, you know, what, six, seven months out of the year, it, it's, it's empty. Yeah, you know, that that's crazy. You know, you've you've got a bedroom that you know twelve hours out of the day is is empty. So if 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 we're going to tackle this affordability problem, then we need to be getting much more out of a five hundred square foot suite than you know two hundred and fifty square feet that you can use and and another two fifty that you only use fifty percent of the time. That's a good point. Your whole unit is a Murphy bed. <laughs> you know, if, 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 if you just Google or, uh, you know, whatever, YouTube, just like creative furniture for condos, like you can sit for hours just looking at things they've done in Europe that, that are pretty cool. You yeah. know, like kitchen tables that drop down from the, from the ceiling um, and, and that when you're not using it, you push a button and it goes back up to the ceiling and, and at the bottom of the table, it's got lights built into it. So it's your light fixture. Uh, I mean, that's just one example. Yeah, There's hundreds yeah. like these. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy. I mean, I, when I worked at uh, the office tower at Tubelor, and I had overlook, you know, a bunch of condos. And even when I was there uh, working on a weekend, look out. There's literally like two people on their balconies, and I overlooked one bloor. Like it's a freaking 75-story tower. One guy out there having a smoke in the morning, or maybe some lady in a freaking white overcoat drinking a coffee, right? And that's it. There was like. No one out there reading well, to books. Be honest, that like, building, was... I, I've been to a few units way at you know at the top of that building. Like you can't even go outside. It's too windy. Yeah, and it's terrifying. Like it's it's useless space, and you can't put furniture out there unless you bolt it to the ground. So it's some you know it's kind of neat to save a balcony on the sixtieth floor, but I mean you're not really probably not going to use it. Actually, going back to Ori, when I was uh, we sold our old house before we moved here and. We thought we were going to be at a house for a while because the market was crazy. So we were going to rent something. <laughs> there was a rental. One of the top floor units there was was for rent, and I I just it was really cool. I wanted to do it because I thought it for all like the the neat reasons of living on. I forget what, it was one of the top ten floors, and I thought it would you know the views were epic and it was a big space. But then you started thinking about you know. What if you get stuck on the elevator? <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> you know, and my wife was pregnant and I'm like, ah, I don't know if this is a good idea. Yeah. Well, it was interesting. What I was if she goes into labor and the elevator is broken and you're on the 70th. <laughs> I was I was doing <laughs> some your back, yeah. yeah. I, was, uh, <laughs> I was doing some work for Dream when when they were, you know, uh uh just investigating the Forma project or the Frank Gary project. And they just asked me to like make some calls, like just talk to some people about their experience in tall towers and ended up talking to a guy that does my job in New York City and, and asking him about some of these like mega towers. And he's like, end users, none of them really want to be on above the 50th floor because you're just completely disconnected from the city. 
the, 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 the elevator rides are too long, you know? And so everything above like the 50th floor is all like Russian oligarchs and Chinese investors, all that stuff. And all like the real people live on like the 25th to the 50th floor. That's where the, the most demand was in these buildings, which was kind of interesting to, uh, uh, you know, to hear that from someone who has the experience of these super mega towers that are being built by the top floor of, uh, (laughs) change your name. Yeah. Change your name. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, kind of interesting to, uh, to, 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 uh, to do that. But, uh, well, we, 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 we are, uh, we are, we are well over our, hour here okay. so we should, so we should, we should, we should uh, jump on to the final section yeah we try and keep these these to an hour you know nice snack bracket uh don't want to be Joe Rogan going three yeah. and a half hours. <laughs> nope. Yeah. And the, the sun's on your forehead, and I feel like yeah, it's getting hot here. Yeah. yeah, it's getting hot, and I saw the. I feel like tra- I'm back on the beach in Hawaii. It's perfect. <laughs> so yeah, so this last section, rapid fire. It's usually you know quick answers. If it's just yes, it can be yes or no, and you know we don't like the pass, but if there's a pass, you can you, you can always pass. We, we will uh, right, we will we will accept it. So it's 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 really just short answers. So real quick, Steve will try to get you to expand on things, but just. <laughs> Ignore it, and we will read the next question. Okay. Uh, you'll do it naturally. You won't be able to help yourself. What is a better market to be moving forward? Seniors housing or student housing? Student housing. Student housing. Okay. See, I'd like to ask why. Oh, <laughs> no, you gonna, won't. I'm not going to. What no. is your forecast for construction cost inflation in 2023? 2023. Uh, I would love to say there will not be inflation, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to guess um, 5 to 10%. What side of the business has the rise in interest rates hurt more, commercial or residential? Uh, Commercial right now, but just because I don't think we've understood residential is kind of lagging. I agree. So next year, maybe it's residential, but right now, commercial. Okay. Are we protecting too much employment land in Toronto? Uh, Probably. I think we're protecting too much of a lot of land in Toronto. <laughs> How about low-rise land, single-family homes? Are we protecting the uh, single-family homeowner too much? In some areas, yes. Okay. Um, other than uh, obviously your own company, is there another developer whose work you admire? Uh, Center Court. Nice. I think they. I think they have figured it out, and they know what they're great at, and and they are great at it. Yeah, they're killing it. You're in all of Canada's major cities. Where are you most likely to end up next? Winnipeg, Hamilton, Kingston, London, Halifax, or other? Probably Halifax. Um, ideally, we could find a platform there that, uh, that, that can get us in in terms of significant amount of property management and then maybe some development, but property management first. Nice. Well, this is a good question, seeing that you have an association with the Koch brothers. Fill in the blank. Donald Trump is a... (laughs) Very entertaining individual. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here's a good one. It's from a guy who just flew back from uh, um, Hawaii. The best airline to fly with right now is... United Airlines. And I never thought I'd say that. (laughs) Wow. On time, clean, friendly... It's no Air France, but I'll give you that. Okay. I'm going to keep that in mind because, uh, you know, I'm tired of sitting in airports waiting for my flight to go. Uh, how about this? Do you email or call your employees after 8 p.m.? Depends who. So uh, uh, if, if, it's, if it's senior, 
uh, members that uh, is something that can't wait until the next day, then yeah, I'm not shy to do it. If it can wait until the next day, then I've learned to be a lot more respectful of their time than I used to be <laughs> a long time, like a half decade ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I have so many questions on that, but I'm not going to go there. <laughs> uh, okay, best social media platform for promoting new development: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, or is there another one that we're missing? I'm, I'm not the person to ask. I'm, I'm really not that active on social media. <laughs> okay. I, I I do like Instagram just because it's entertaining. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I have one more question that's on our list because that was our 10, but we haven't asked it in a while. And, uh, you know, I thought you'd be a good person to ask. But if you had one piece of advice for uh, young people listening to the show who want to get into development or into the real estate industry, uh, what would it be? And, and maybe a, a story from, you know, your early years in, in mentorship getting started that you could uh, you could pass along. Sure. Get, get in the office, spend as much time around the senior team as you can, uh, you know, in, in the room, in the deal type, uh, type thought. I think that applies to individuals as well. If, if you're not listening to conversations in the hallways or not, you know, accidentally eavesdropping, uh, on someone else's conversation in their office, then you're, you're only hearing what someone else wants you to hear and you're only present where someone else wants you to be present. And a lot of the time, um, you know, we're, we're moving fast and, and we're not always remembering that we should invite, uh, you know, Joe who, uh, you know, is a month into his career and just started at the company. We should invite him to that meeting. But if he's in the hallway listening, you know, he can barge his way or she can barge their way into that meeting and their growth trajectory will be so much steeper than it will otherwise be. That's an unbelievable place to end, and I think that I'm going to take that quote and share it globally. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> With your 1,000 followers. Yeah, so 967, we'll but whatever. It's getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. Well, we appreciate your time, uh, uh, Ben, and we, 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 we obviously could have gone a lot longer. You have so many projects on the go, but uh, if someone wants to uh, define you or find Candrell, where do they, where do they go? Uh Come to my office. <laughs> I love it. 1075 love it. Bay Street, Suite 400. There you uh, go. Email me. Call me. I answer my own phone. I answer my own email. I don't have assistance. I get back to people quickly. Wow. And, and we're always looking to hire young, aggressive, bright minds. That's awesome. Beautiful. That's awesome. I love we, it. We, 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 I, I heard that from a professor that he's playing our podcast to uh, and encouraging people in his in one of his classes to to listen to the podcast to get some, you know, insight from from developers. So I was, I was never uh, the best student. I, I've I've uh, I had one person on Twitter quote me in their MBA thesis or something like that. And then and now hearing this, and I, I always think if I could go back to my high school teachers and tell them that um, people are, are using our material and in, in their, to further their education, I always thought that they'd get a good kick out of that. Yeah, so that's awesome. It's good to hear. Something Anyways, to be proud of. That's yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, no, it's good advice. And I, I agree with you and I, I will pass that along. And uh, we appreciate you being here. It's been a lot of fun. And I apologize about that sun in your, uh, in your eyes. I feel like I should have <laughs> given you my sunglasses. Next in time. January, I'll, I'll remember this day how yeah. hot it was. Next time, bring out drinks and sunscreen. So, yeah. <laughs> no, thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. No problem. That was great.